Last Sunday, I spoke to you about the centrality of Christ in the scriptures. The centrality of Christ to all that is currently happening in the world and to the completion or consummation of all things. As we read in Colossians 1, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In all that concerns us then, it's important for us to recognize his supremacy and that all of life revolves around this one who not only created the world but also redeemed it so that we could be in fellowship with him forever. Today I want to speak to you about something that I describe as the signature of Jesus. This has to do with his his willingness, despite his greatness, to live among us as a servant. And I think it's especially appropriate to speak of these things on this Mother's Day. I think because if there's anything that speaks to the nature of what it means to be a mom, it's about this matter of humble service. Motherhood, of course is a sensitive issue, not only because not every woman is a mom, in many cases an unrequited desire, but also because this role has often been minimized in comparison to what women feel they should try to achieve otherwise. And I think it's good for us to have a day like this in which we honor mothers, because the one thing all of us have in common is that We usually, through a long and sometimes arduous pregnancy journey, we were given life and nourished by our moms. Here's a picture of my wife and I many years ago, quite a few years ago, 2010 I think it was, before, or 29, 2009 maybe, before my mother passed away around that time. She was 94 years old, and these two women that you see in this picture were very, very special people in my life. This week, uh, I had the privilege, we had, some of us had the opportunity to meet with Henry and Verna Wilms. And as we were leaving, uh, uh, Verna showed me a thing that they have on their their wall near their entrance to their home with the names of all those who are in their family and their birthdays and the months of the year and the respective times of their birthdays, and uh, amazing. I think there, I counted 55 people on that list. Uh, 18, five children, 18 grandchildren, 18 great-grandchildren. Just amazing to see, and uh, it's right. I think that we should honor these special people in our lives, not only because the scriptures call us to honor our fathers and mothers, but also because of the unique role that God has given to mothers to care for and nourish our lives. So if you are a mother, I hope this message will be a special encouragement to you. Too often, especially these days, we fail to recognize the incredible cost that motherhood entails. And while servanthood is something that God calls all of us to emulate and demonstrate. I think it has a special application to those who serve in this role. 
To encourage all of us, but especially moms, I would like us to consider the example of Jesus as given to us here in John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, which I've called the signature of Jesus. It was just about this time, or before the Passover, we read, that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and in his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord... Simon Peter replied, not just my head, my feet rather, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that you can look at a whole lot of people on television or wherever, and uh, generalize about them. And if we're not careful, it's easy to form a stereotypical images in our minds of what people from another culture or another nation or another region even are like. And it's true that people have certain general cultural characteristics, which are very interesting in themselves, that easily eclipse their unique personalities. But you know, the closer you look at at people, the more you get to know, and the more you get to know people personally, the more you come to realize how special each one really is. Everyone has their own identity, their own physical appearance, a certain kind of voice which you can recognize on the phone, for example. Uh, A certain way of laughing. People comment often on my laughter and something that I got from my mom. It's it's very special. Or people's eyes. Or people's handwriting. That's something I didn't get from my mom. Uh, Some are better than others, obviously. Or their fingerprints. Or, of course, their signature. 
This uniqueness that I'm speaking of is true also of groups of people, organizations, and even churches. Each has its own culture, its own way of doing things, its own personality. And I think one of the big challenges of a church like this, or any church for that matter, is for it to discover its own identity. It's all a part of what we speak of as the values or vision or mission of a particular church. And, of course, this is also true for businesses and even farms. We refer to all of this as branding. Branding is a symbol or an icon that best sums up what a church is all about, too. And one of the things that uh, comes up in the assessment of a church like this is its branding. What What is it known for in the community? But the reason I speak of these things is to pose this question. How would you characterize the unique identity of Jesus? What was his signature? What was he known for among the people of his time? What was his brand? And if we have to, uh, if we put our faith in him and become his followers, how might this branding also characterize our lives? The setting of this story... is that Jesus was sitting down with his disciples for the Passover meal. And most of the Gospels focus on the betrayal of Jesus and Jesus' words at the Last Supper. But this Gospel, John's Gospel, highlights the betrayal too, but in a different way. Evidently, Jesus knew what was about to happen. And it's hard for us to imagine the kind of anguish that he must have been experiencing as he prepared as he knew what was about to take place. But that is what makes Jesus and what he did here such an amazing thing, so characteristic of him, so much like him. And I think one could say it identifies in a very real sense his signature. Now, we don't have this custom, and so it may be hard for us to appreciate, but in the Eastern tradition, Refreshing a traveler by washing their feet was the first sign of hospitality. But in the Eastern tradition, refreshing a traveler by washing their feet was this for them, quite amazing. In the spirit of that custom, Jesus gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water in a basin, and stoops down to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel. Well, there are several points that uh, I want to highlight here. One is that Jesus is doing this from the position of incredible strength and confidence. For it says here in verse 3 that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And I think there's no question that what enabled Jesus to go through this very difficult time is that he knew who he was and what he had come to do. He knew where he'd come from and where he was going. He had a very clear sense of personal vision. And it was this, in fact, which prompted him to do what he began to do. And I'd just like to say this, that I think this is an important lesson for us as well as we consider doing some of the things that God calls us to do. 
It's really impossible to love other people unless you have a strong sense of appreciation for yourself, that you like yourself, that you know yourself, you know who God is to you and how he has made you. And this is really what it means to be emotionally healthy. And this is the idea in a book written by Peter Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Church. It is a book about how Christians, to become mature in their faith, need to deal with the emotional wounds in their lives, things that have happened in their lives as they've grown up in the past, losses of one kind or another, because these sorts of things have a bearing on the nature of our lives. Now, I want to emphasize that emotional health is not self-confidence. It comes from recognizing who we are in Christ and working from that center. I had a wonderful conversation with one of you, Walter, this week, in which he said he came to a place where he recognized who he was in Christ. And it's in the knowledge that we belong to God and that he has given us his salvation, his redemption, that being the reason we can enter into the very nature of his service. See, this is the way it was for Jesus. Jesus knew he, who he was and what he had come to do, even though he also knew it would be hard. And I think for us to do well, we need confidence. But it has to be rightly placed in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. So that's the first point. The second point <clears throat> is that Jesus commits himself, I think, here to what we would call real, genuine service. It says that he knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know, of course, that the common practice in that time, as I said, was for the home servant to wait on his master. And when the master came in... <clears throat> He would expect the servant to be ready with basin and towel to refresh his master. Sort of like what you expect your family members to do for you, I'm sure, when you come home. Take your coat, fix your food, whatever. Be a kind of a valet, uh, is the word that I remember seeing in that movie, Downton Abbey. The valet cared for everybody. Or the valet, maybe we would say in French, I'm not so sure. But it's hard for us, I think, to appreciate the uh, supreme humility and love that this act expressed. Jesus, think of it, the creator and ruler of the universe, taking on the role of a household servant, putting his disciples in the position of honor. And it was a beautiful picture, again, of what the incarnation of Jesus is really all about. Jesus holding the towel, presenting himself as the household servant. That's him. And in a very real way, that's his signature, his willingness to stoop, to help us in our need, to serve us. That's what characterizes in a unique way who he was. The third point of this story that impresses me is that Jesus washed everyone's feet. All the disciples, including Peter, who didn't, as you see here, at first want to let Jesus do this. Peter's immaturity and his impulsiveness really shines through here. <clears throat> Peter's story illustrates that it is important to let 
Jesus' service. We shouldn't allow our pride to keep us from receiving the ministry of Jesus or others when they want to give that to us. And part of the meaning of grace is our willingness to receive it. And it says he also washed the feet of Judas. Or it doesn't say that, but we assume that. But it, because it's implied in the passage. And this means that God extends his love even to those who would turn out to betray him. That's a very amazing thing in itself. So that's really important. Uh, Jesus uh, really committed himself to serve and he washed everyone's feet. But Jesus also uses this as a teachable moment, a moment of instruction. He considered it a, a time to pass some important things on. The main point was that what he had done for them as their Lord and Master, they should certainly practice in relation to one another. Why do I share all these things with you this morning? Because I truly believe that one of the biggest tests of the reality of our faith is the evidence of Christ's love being demonstrated in these ways among us. I think the kind of love we see here demonstrates in Jesus his signature. It's who he was, what he was like, his branding. That is how the world would know, he said, that we are his disciples, by our love for one, one another. And this is also what I think to be the brand, is to be the branding of the church. Not a building, nor any particular program, nor a style of worship, or the preaching and so on. But it is his love that should brand his church. As you know, <clears throat> some people think that we should regularly wash one another's feet. So I've instructed the ushers this morning, if they would just bring in some basins full of... <clears throat> no, I'm kidding, actually. <clears throat> We're not going to do that. I suppose there's a place for this symbolic expression of love and humility to one another. I've done it, and it's been done to me. And maybe some of you can identify with that. But I'm not so sure God intended it as a sacrament. I think its meaning in encouraging us to do this with one another was to adopt the principle of the whole thing in a way that is relevant to our own culture. So we wouldn't normally wash someone's feet if they came to visit us because we don't walk on dusty roads in this part of the world. Well, we may drive on them and we may be on them from time to time, but it's not the same as it was in Jesus' day. But if we're serious about this, we would find other ways to serve our fellow believers and others whom God brings into our lives, offering them hospitality in some form, showing kindness, pitching in to help wherever needed, regardless of our position or role otherwise. So I want to speak about some applications of this. Of course, the most immediate application of this is in our relationship with one another in our homes, because that is our closest relationship and often represents our greatest challenge. Take marriage, for example. It's important for husbands to practice this in relation to their wives, to be willing to offer a listening ear, some special affection, or some other aspect of a wife's love language to pitch in and help where needed. And, of course, the other way around as well. I think this is what we read about in Ephesians chapter 5, where 
Paul talks about marriage and, and how we should minister to one another in marriage. But we should also see it happen by parents in relation to their children. Or children, even older children in relation to one another. And of course in relation to their parents. There is a great need for the signature of Jesus to be seen in our families. Places that demonstrate mutual kindness, consideration, forgiveness, and honesty. Or reaching out even when we've been hurt. Our homes, our families should be places where we wash one another's feet in that way. The primary way of the signature of Jesus should be evident among Christians is in their love for one another in the church. And of course, this is the real point of Jesus' lesson here to his disciples in verse 14 and 15. It says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Well, there are many references in the New Testament to this important matter. And next to believing in Jesus, John obviously considered sacrificial love to be the most important sign of what it means to follow Jesus. It's one of the uh, things that uh, John stresses in his short letters that we have near the end of the, of the New Testament. Both chapters 3 and 4 of 1 John, for example, have long sections of encouragement for us to love one another. And this is also Paul's emphasis again and again. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter? That uh, we uh, can do all kinds of things, but uh, unless we love one another, the other things don't amount to anything. And it's right there in the midst of an explanation of spiritual gifts, which, if we're not careful, can be in themselves a source of pride and division. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, he writes, God, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. Be kind and compassionate or tender-hearted to one another, forgiving each other. Just as God, just as in Christ, God forgave you, you. And surely this is one of the biggest challenges facing a church like Tabor Evangelical Free Church. How can we be serious about washing one another's feet? How do we practice the signature of Jesus? Well, there are many ways we can do this, including various gestures of kindness, pitching in wherever there is a need, offering hospitality, and resisting the temptation to be judgmental and gossiping about others. But there are a few more uh, ways in which I think we can do this that I want to mention to you, and you might not ordinarily hear of these. I think the first is that we need to acknowledge or recognize one another. And this may simply be a matter of smiling and saying hello, introducing yourself, calling each other by name. I've, I kind of enjoy going down the street and seeing people come to, toward me and saying, hello, because many times they're not, they don't seem to be interested in any kind of interchange that way. But I think it's important to recognize people, to value them by doing something like that. It's amazing how powerful it is to greet someone by name. And that's why I've tried to work hard. I, I'm not totally successful 
to work hard at, at learning to know who your names are so that I can call you by name if at all possible. That's why sometimes we, we like to have what we call name tag Sundays where we, we wear a name tag and uh, we greet one another by name. And uh, I just want to encourage you in that regard. But a second way that we need to uh, wash one another's feet is to listen to one another. One of the most effective ways you can love someone is to really listen to them. David Augsburger said, he was uh, someone from, oh, a few years back, he said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Isn't that something? In all our relationships, we need to practice something called reflective listening. Now, in reflective listening, you learn to put your own thoughts and ideas on hold and really give the speaker your attention. Then you repeat to the speaker what you think you heard. You say, I think I heard you say, and then you repeat what you think that they said, right? Another technique in communication is to validate another person, even if you don't agree with them. You can say, I can see how you would see, uh, see it that way. Or you can explore a negative comment by saying, tell me why you feel that way. Well, these are some of the ways which I think we can uh, share with one another. But another way that I just want to share with you is what I call uh, how to resolve uh, conflict with one another. We need to determine to love people, to be kind to others, even if they aren't that way to us. We need to practice the fine art of forgiveness. And in that context, context rather, it's important for us to find ways to resolve conflict. One of the inevitabilities of our daily lives is the reality of interpersonal conflict. Um, and it certainly is true in the life of the church. And what easily happens is that we endure each other instead of talking with one another. We're together, but because of things that have happened in the past, we live in sort of virtual isolation of one another. And this happens in marriage. A marriage doesn't grow unless partners learn how to work through issues together, that they learn how to communicate with one another, and so it is in the church. So I want to show you a diagram that demonstrates the tension between relationship and disagreement, because in every relationship, sooner or later, issues uh, or, or, you know, conflict or differences, at least, arise, and they can lead to very serious conflict. Uh, you know, even in the short time that I've been with you uh, and have gotten to know some of you, I've expressed differences of opinion, right? That's just the nature of our lives. And so uh, what do we do about this? Well, I saw this uh, diagram years ago, and I, I want to share it with you this morning. Uh, just some of the main points of this uh, diagram. In any conflict, you must weigh uh, what I would call relationship with uh, a particular issue or disagreement. In other words, uh, 
you know, that's, that's the uh, way that this tension emerges. We have a relationship, but an issue comes up. Now, if you don't really care that much about the issue or the relationship, what you will do is withdraw. And that happens quite often. People, uh, instead of dealing with a particular issue, just simply pull back, right? And it's always sad when that happens because that ends the relationship. And it's so, so painful to see that happen. If you care only about the relationship and not about the issue, you will end up yielding concerning whatever the issue is. You're going to give in because you want to protect the relationship. The only thing is that if you just focus on the relationship and never deal with the issue, the relationship ultimately comes apart as well. You can't necessarily just focus on the relationship without forgetting about the issue. But if you focus only on the uh, issue and not the relationship, that you feel really, really strongly about this, but you are careless about the relationship, you will win, but you might lose the relationship. And the best solution is to communicate with each other in such a way concerning the issue until you reach a resolution. And so you should seek to move the direction in this direction in a, in a conflicted relationship. And it's very, very helpful to, to uh, understand that these are some of the dynamics in a conflict situation. Now, most often, it'll result in some sort of compromise. But that's okay. So we learn from one another through the conflict, and we grow together. And yeah, I might have to give something, in order to maintain that relationship, or uh, I might have to, you know, test the relationship by focusing on the issue a, a little bit. But the bottom line of all of this is that we're doing what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.15 when he speaks about speaking the truth in love. It's important to recognize that you can't separate love from truth. Some people say, well, I'm just going to love this people this person. Well, that, that's good and that's important and sometimes it's very difficult to talk about a particular issue. But love is only meaningful in the context of honesty. It's not just a feeling. And I find that people are notorious for being kind without being honest. Now, the opposite can happen as well. People are notorious for being judgmental without caring about the relationship. And that's another problem that sometimes we have as Christians. So this is true within the church. I know that this is a delicate thing because too often we lack a sense of candor in speaking to one another because we don't want to affect the relationship. But the relationship only grows stronger when you deal with stuff that comes up. I know we found that to be true in our marriage. That if we're really going to grow in our marriage, we've got to talk about stuff, right? And so it is in, in your experience with other believers or other people as well. So as you look at the ministry of Jesus, even among his disciples, he loved them by sometimes disagreeing with them or challenging them. He would say, where's your sense of faith? Remember, we saw that last Sunday. 
Or he spoke to them about their pride or their tendency to want to rule instead of to serve and so on. All I'm saying is that we will have the stamp of Jesus' identity among us, not only when we are kind and forgiving to one another, but also when we are willing to challenge ideas and actions among us that aren't always right. But how we do that and when we do it is really, really important. Sometimes it's better just to be quiet and not say anything and move on. But sometimes it's good to talk about it, isn't it? In summary then, the signature of Jesus is nothing less or more than demonstrating what he did here in relation to the disciples when he washed their feet. He made himself a servant to really care for them. There are a couple of test questions that we can ask ourselves at this point. If you are a follower of Jesus, does your life bear the signature of Jesus? And secondly, to what extent is it the case, do you think, that the church here bears the signature of Jesus? Is the signature of Jesus the stamp of his identity seen here at the Tabor EFC uh, church? Do others at this church, uh, do they see the church or others outside of the church Do they see the church to be followers of Jesus because of what they see of the love of Christ here? And how can we care for one another? How can we work through things that we disagree with about one another? Well, finally, uh, uh, just a word about uh, all of this in regard to all of us, a word about moms, for one thing. We honor moms today, not just because of a tradition, but because of their commitment to humble service in the care of children and families and others. And in a way, there is no nobler calling as demonstrated in what Jesus did here. And if you are a mom, I hope today you are encouraged to serve like Jesus did, that his signature will be your signature as a mom. But there's a message in this story for all of us. That greatness is not something that comes from title or achievement or fame. Rather, it comes by being willing to lay down our lives for one another, of serving just as Jesus did. And today I suggested some practical ways in which we can do that. And I just trust that God will help us to be people who who bear his signature. And may we be known for our love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to look at this amazing story that the creator of the universe, which is something that is hard for us to grasp, would come into this world and humble us, humble himself to serve us as he did, being willing even to lay down his life to die so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Lord, we thank you for this story that is just so full of the richness of what your life, you are really all about, that you are a holy God, that truth is foundational to who you are, but that you're willing to sacrifice your life in order that we might know the truth and experience your life within us. We see today the signature of Jesus as being his humble service, 
And Father, we want to bear this signature as well, that as people see us in this community, that they will see the signature of Jesus in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that you will minister to us according to our need today. I thank you for moms who have demonstrated this over and over again. I pray that you would encourage them today in this pursuit. And I pray, Lord, that you will enable all of us to to understand what it means to, to live as Jesus did, to bear his signature among one another and in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name. I'll invite you to stand with us as we close the service.